Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Good Sunday evening, everybody, and welcome into the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane with Brent Hubs. As you watch and listen on VolQuest.com, and as always on the VolQuest YouTube channel, please like and subscribe to this uh, channel. Please like this video so we can share it, get it in front of more Tennessee fans. The goal is always to get it up to 500 likes, but uh, we do this every single Sunday night, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Eastern time. It's called the Rocky Top Rewind, where we look back on the weekend that was and Brent Hubs, we got a lot going on. We've got Hoops, who was in action on the Plains. Uh, of course, SEC Tournament now looms. Um, shout out to the Lady Vols beating number one uh, LSU or number one seed at LSU. Came up short against South Carolina today, but a good performance from the Lady Vols. Baseball's in action right now. Um, all that and more. But probably the biggest thing to get into is the NFL Combine because there were seven volunteers who were out there showcasing their abilities. I think overall, Brent, top to bottom, is a pretty good showing. Some stood out greater than others, but your thoughts on Tennessee's performance at the NFL Combine? Well, I think I think it shows a lot about Tennessee's development of players, and I think that's a recruiting win for Josh Heupel. That's a huge recruiting win for him. Uh, when you talk about where Byron Young is, and I know Josh Heupel didn't sign Byron Young. Uh, that was the previous staff. But the development that Byron Young has got, has gotten – and physically where he is, the numbers he put up, obviously Darnell Wright to see where he has gotten to, and Jalen Hyatt as well. I mean, you, you talk about, uh, you know, Darnell and Jalen Hyatt probably weren't on anybody's – they certainly weren't high up in, on anybody's draft board a year ago. Uh, and certainly not two years ago, Darnell was not a guy that a lot of people were talking about. And, and to see where those guys are right now and, and how far they have come, says a lot about Josh Heupel, and I think that's a recruiting win. They should use that in recruiting heavily. Uh, and I think some guys, you know, went out and, and obviously did well. Byron Young made himself some money on yeah. on Thursday night. There's no question about that. I think Darnell Wright continues to impress. Um, 40 time was plenty good enough. Um, the physical stuff he did in pass pro I think was good. The praise he got from everybody else was good. Uh, I, I think Darnell Wright has been the big winner for Tennessee since the end of the regular season. Um, obviously, he played in the bowl game, but then to see what he did in the senior bowl and then what he's done you know, at the combine, to me, he's the biggest winner of all those guys right now. I would agree with that. I think he's the biggest winner um, since the end of the season. Um, Byron Young might have been the, the biggest mover, if you will, from the NFL combine because man, a 4-4-3 official 40-yard dash. That is second fastest to Nolan Smith in terms of edge edge rushers of the combine. That That is moving. Um, he made him some money in, in a big-time way to where he's kind of undersized in terms of height and, and stature and weight and all that, but making up with good on-the-field work and, of course, that 40-yard dash. And he had a good week at the Senior Bowl as well a couple of months ago or a month ago. So uh, he looked good in that regard. But let's talk about Jalen Hyatt. Um, of course, he did not play in the Orange Bowl, didn't play in the Senior Bowl because he's not a senior. Uh, but went down to the NFL Combine, and, and he had a good showing. Um, he he ran a, a decent 40 at 4-4-1. Um, he had a good broad, had good vertical, ran nice routes and everything. It's not like he had a bad showing. But, Brent, I think you and I both know he'd be the first to say, hey, I can run a whole lot faster. And, and that 4-4-1 was not fast enough, uh, what I showed on Saturday. 
Well, and here's the bizarre thing, and, and I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, okay, so I, I don't want to go down this road. But those numbers guys were putting up on Thursday night compared to the numbers we have seen the rest of the weekend in the combine are head scratchers. Look, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm elated for Byron Young. I think Byron Young's a great story. I really do. I mean, he goes to some school they, in a strip mall. They basically shut it down, um, you know, and, and then he goes and he's working at the Dollar General or, or whichever one it was, and he works at a gas station. He ends up, you know, taking the flyer and everything. I mean, it's a great story. But you can't tell me you're going to line up Byron Young and Jalen Hyatt beside each other, and those guys are going to run essentially an even race. <laughs> I don't think Nolan. I don't think Nolan Smith's going to run an even race with Jalen Hyatt. I, I don't. I don't recall Kirby Smart matching him up one on one with elite speed receivers. So again, something seemed to be a little off with the numbers for the receivers based on the numbers we saw that first night for those. You know edge rushers and, and, and linebackers, which was a bit of a head scratcher. I don't think anybody's going to look at Jalen Hyatt and say, man, he's too slow. I think if there's anybody questioning anything about Jalen Hyatt, it's going to be, he's not heavy enough. Can he play physical enough? I think that's the bigger question and what people will, will dive into the tape and look to see is, can he play physical enough, you know, and at the next level. Uh, but, but the, the 40 numbers didn't seem to didn't seem to match up for four days for me in Indianapolis, particularly for a track that's been long known as the fastest track out there. Because it wasn't just that Jalen Hyatt was at a number we didn't expect. There were only a handful of, what, three guys ahead of him, four guys ahead of him yeah. at the receiver position. The receivers didn't go low like you thought they would go is my point. Another 40 time I do want to point out whether it was a little off or whatever. Uh, earlier today, you had Darnell Wright and uh, talking about maybe the biggest winner since the end of the season. Uh, he runs a 5.01 official 40 yard dash time. Uh, for a guy that is six foot five, 330 pounds, that's scooting. In fact, this is from Next Gen Stats. Um, only two other players since the year 2003 have run a faster. 40-yard dash time at the NFL Combine that weighed over 330 pounds. I mean, in the last 20 years of of those 330-pound tackles, Darnell Wright is the fastest guy to run the 40. And again, who cares? It's a 40-yard dash and you're playing offensive line. Like, again, w w when's that going to matter? But I think it just goes to show you, again, his athleticism, um, his makeup. And I'm going to play a clip in a moment, but, I mean, just the way he just kind of gets in there and talks football – there's a reason why he might be the first fall taken, and there's a reason why he has been kind of the biggest winner here since the end of the season. Uh, he's just a freak, and he's an experienced freak, a guy that's played over 40 games in the SEC. Yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, he, he's played a ridiculous amount of snaps the last two years. I mean, basically set over 1,700 snaps the last two seasons. Here's the thing about the 40 time. You know, these guys train for the 40, right? So they yep. go out and they spend six months. Go watch the tape of the interception. Uh, that Alabama had uh, by Kool-Aid McKinstry on the batted ball that was pass interference was called and gave Tennessee second life on that fourth down play in Tennessee's win. And see who the, the offensive lineman is that knocks, forces McKinstry basically to step out of bounds and say, I don't want to get hit by him. That's Darnell Wright. And he came from a long way. I mean, he came hauling is what he did. Um that when you turn on the tape, that will show you that the guy runs a five flat forty, okay, or whatever. I mean, he's in no. full pads running that way. So 
there's tangible evidence of it in addition to him doing this on the track right here where he runs. He, he is a ridiculously freak, freakish athlete. Um, and it was all about whether or not he could get himself in shape, put himself in shape, and, and whether he could completely buy in and, and go. And he did under Glenn Ellerby, and he is going to be rewarded handsomely for that. He is a guy that I know there was a lot of some, not a lot, but some talk about, you know, back in the preseason, he might come back for another year, some NIL money, whatever. He has made absolutely the right decision for himself. Yep. I mean, he has absolutely done what he – now, selfishly, would Tennessee love to have him back? And as a fan, would you like to have him back? Would he make Tennessee's offensive line better? Oh, absolutely. But for the betterment of Darnell Wright, he has absolutely made the best decision for himself, and he is going to be rewarded handsomely for it. Because, look, I mean, of all the guys projected at the tackle position that were projected ahead of him, a couple of those guys projected ahead of him in a lot of mock drafts, he scored – physically better than all of them, yeah. you know, and then he gets the praise he gets from everybody. And the more people watch the tape of him, it's, Oh, he's durable. And Oh, by the way, he can block people. You know, he's pretty good yeah. in pass pro, not bad. He's, he's shut down some pass rushers this year. R- good player. Speaking of that, uh, this was earlier in the week. I think this was maybe Friday morning, maybe Thursday, whenever uh, the offensive line was answering questions, <clears throat> excuse me, to the media and this is a guy in Darnell Wright that didn't do media this year. I, I think he did one with the Tennessee Prime with us, and, and that was awesome to see. But he didn't do much media this year. And so that interaction, like how would he be, that was a big question because it's a big part of the draft process. The question was asked to Darnell Wright, what went into blocking guys like B.J. Ojolari, guys like Will Anderson Jr., and the success that you found against those guys? Listen to this about 70 seconds. It's a little lengthy, about 70 seconds. Just this football guy talking football and this is why i feel like nfl scouts personnel gm coaches are gonna love this guy give this a listen darnell wright talking about blocking those guys so so you say when you're studying for a guy like will anderson you know that he's going to be mostly speed so i break guys down into like you have category of speed you have power you have finesse rarely do you have somebody that's gonna gonna hit every single one of those categories so you give them maybe two out of three so a guy like Will Anderson, you'll give him speed and power, but a guy like BJ Aljawar, you'll give him um, speed and finesse. So going into going into like against BJ, I would like during practice, you would think that it was that wasn't it wasn't a good thing to do, but like I would overset like we don't have a BJ Aljawar on scout team, obviously, but I would overset every every rep on scout team just because I know that BJ Aljawar he he makes all of his money on the edge, you know what I mean? Like that's mostly where he, he he's good at. But his inside counter move isn't as effective. So uh, going into it, like say if you're setting, like you want to stay inside out usually. But for this game specifically, in practice leading up to it, I would I would set um, inside eye to the outside eye. So you would call it an overset. You would think I'm out of position, but it's kind of I'm just baiting him into it. So, but then you have a guy like Will Anderson, and you do it's just a whole process. Pretty impressive stuff there, Brent. A guy just kind of breaking it down. And that was for everybody to kind of understand. I mean, you didn't have to be a football junkie to kind of understand what he was talking about, what goes into blocking some of those guys. And those type of conversations, along with the game tape, along with what he's doing to the combine in his pro day, is going to be why he's the big winner. He'll continue to win, and I think he'll be a first-round draft pick. I do. Yeah, I mean, it's 
he's got all the all the tools to be a first round draft pick. Now it'll be about need. It'll be about fall the right plays. I had an NFL guy tell me. I kept telling this guy, the NFL guy, that I thought he was a first round talent. I really did. I, I thought he would he would be a guy who would shoot up. I agreed with Austin. Austin said this before I did, so I don't want I don't want to steal his thunder because it, it's it's his point. But I echo it. I thought he would shoot up the board the draft boards a lot. I, I really did. And this NFL person said, well, you know, what, the thing working against him is his reputation. I said, his he didn't have a reputation. What do you mean? Well, the perception some people have of him is he's you know, just maybe not a great locker room guy, maybe not to break this because nobody knows him. And I said, well, when you get to know him, you'll see that's the opposite. He, 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 my only concern with him and talking to people is what does he, is he mature enough? Now that answer right there just showed you where he's at, but he can get a little silly with people, with his buddies. He can kind of be goofy and silly. But I think one of the things that was a concern that he's had to answer more than the physical skills is what kind of guy is he? Like, wh- where is he from a football IQ? Where is he from a locker room standpoint? Is, is he a guy you're going to invest a lot of money in and say, hey, I want him to anchor one side of my offensive line for a long time? My response to that is if you talk to him long enough, yes, he is. Because he's passionate about the game of football. He's gaining confidence. Glenn Ellerby has been a home run for him. And I think that you're seeing the results of his work and, and what he's about. And I think answers like that in the media sessions. I mean, you, you, you listen to that answer and you go, he didn't, why didn't he do any media? Why, why, why didn't he want to do media? You know? Um, but, but he, he's clearly polished enough. He can clearly handle it. And uh, he's going to make somebody a really good pro. And, and I think the durability, the athletic ability and the knowledge of the game are, are, are going to be something that everybody's going to look at. There's no way he's not higher on everybody's draft board right now than he was leaving the orange bowl. In my yeah. opinion. There's yeah. no way he's not moved up everybody's draft board. Now, is he a first-rounder on everybody's board? I don't know. But there's no way. There's no medical red flag for him from an injury standpoint. There's nothing to physically red flag him. And the more you watch him work and skill stuff, the more impressed you are with what he does. And the more you hear him talk, the more impressed you are. I, I think he's the big winner. Two of the guys I want to mention real quick before we get Grant Ramey on to talk Tennessee basketball here in about two minutes um, Jeremy Banks ran a 4-5 after stumbling in his first 40-yard attempt that clocked at like a 4-7, but looked like in his group with the fellow linebackers, he was either second or third in pretty much everything, so it looked like he had a decent weekend. Uh, but Cedric Tillman, I think, he had a really good weekend. He ran a low, I think it was a 4-5-2, a 4-5-3, which for him is a really, really good time, and I think that was a, I think that's going to help him a little bit uh, in terms of um, he's a bigger, you know, more physical body receiver. We know that. He looked healthy. Looked like Cedric Tillman uh, might have made a little bit of noise this weekend as well. At least he didn't hurt himself. Well, he's a guy who can big boy some DBs, right? Jalen Hyde's going to be more speed, right? The speed factor was a bigger is a bigger question mark for for you know because that's his game is the speed game. Uh, for Cedric Tillman, he he has the ability to body you up on a on a hard slant. Um, he's got a good catch radius. He can high point the ball well. He's making a lot of contested catches in his career at Tennessee the last two years. Um, so I, I think all those things work in his favor. I'll be curious to see if he feels like he needs to run again, you know, when he has his pro day in Knoxville. Does Jalen Hyatt feel like he needs to run again after his after his combine deal? If I'm Darnell Wright, the only thing I'm doing is is skill work with the offensive line. Yep. I'm, you're not going to see me run anything else. I'm not taking a chance on my hamstring for any pre-draft workouts by showing you another 40-time. 
Um, so I'll be curious to see what some of those guys elect to do from a physical testing standpoint versus do they just come out and do skill stuff, you know, on their on the, you know, their pro day in Knoxville. I, I think when you talk about Tillman, you talk about Hyatt, you talk about Darnell Wright, Byron Young, there are going to be a, a handful of NFL teams that want to bring them to their facility to work them out. They're going to get a lot of individual workouts. Um, and, and, you know, Jeremy Banks is probably a guy who needs to show well at pro day to have a chance to get into that world. But those other guys, I think, are definitely going to get a lot of individual, or, you know, individual team workouts. Seven volunteers took part in the NFL Combine over the weekend. We got full coverage. Matt Ray did a nice little running story all weekend long over at VolQuest.com. You want to see the 40-yard dash time, see what people are saying about them, seeing the measurements, all that and more. VolQuest.com for Tennessee Vols at the NFL Combine. Hey, when we come back, we're going to take a quick 60 here. Tennessee basketball falls on the plains at Auburn. What's this mean for the SEC tournament moving forward? Grant Ramey will join the show when we return right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane with Brent Hubs. Appreciate you guys watching us here on the YouTube channel, VolQuest.com, and uh, filling up the comment section. We're going to get to a lot of your guys' questions here in just a little bit. So if you got a question, put it over there. And I appreciate you guys hanging out with us here today. Going to bring on Grant Ramey, one of our co-workers, VolQuest.com. Talk a little Tennessee basketball. And you look at a Grant 79-70, Auburn runs away from Tennessee there at the end. Uh, was it as simple as you can't go over seven at the end? You can't go on a six-minute scoring drought there at the end uh, unless Tennessee might have had this one. Yeah, I mean shots from the field you can't miss. You can't go. You know the last shot they made from the field was uh, Santi hit a jumper to put them up sixty-three sixty with six thirteen left, and and everything they scored from there was was at the free throw line. So uh, oddly enough, the offense didn't really bother me at all. I mean, shooting 47% on the road, shooting 47% from the field and from the three-point line, they didn't get killed at the, at the foul line uh, in terms of difference there. They out-rebounded Auburn. They had a pretty good assist percentage. Um, they had 11 turnovers. you got to clean that up. What, what I think the problem was specific to this Auburn game was just too many defensive letdowns in the final, you know, 10 minutes of the game, really the second half. Uh, Auburn hits that three at the horn in the half. It was a seven-point lead. That cuts it to – Four. They come out. They score f uh, four quick points to start the second half, and it felt like there were some defensive lapses, uh, kind of set the tone right there uh, to start the second half. So, I thought the offense did enough and was impressive enough, uh, but there are some defensive letdowns, and it's just hard, it's hard to win on the road. This team's lost five straight away from home. Uh, they've lost four straight at Auburn. They haven't won there since 2017. That's a tough gym to play in. Uh, Auburn usually has their number down there. So, all things considered, without Zakai, uh, could have been a lot worse. Grant, is that a Raiders hat? If so, we'll we'll talk about it that. Is. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I'm not really sure what's going on with with, with that world <laughs> for you. Um, I, I'm not. I don't know where that hat. I, came listen, from. I collect. Okay, I collect. Okay, that's fine. All right, whatever. Um, anyway, let me get back on track with where I was going with basketball here. Uh, straight line drives. 
Um, and, and that's something that Auburn has seemingly done a good job of against Rick Barnes for years, even back to when Bruce Pearl was in Knoxville. Straight line drives gave them some problems. What is it about that, and, and how concern, concerning is it for you for this Tennessee defense, their inability to stop straight line drives, particularly with a guy like Green, who's the Kai Ziegler had in the first matchup and shut some of that stuff down. How, how big of a concern is that moving forward if Tennessee faces a guard who likes to really go to the rim? Yeah, it's a concern because your defense is what this where you're hanging your hat on if you're Tennessee. It's it's where you hang your hat all year. It's it's been your calling card all season. And if suddenly there's something that you can't stop, like somebody uh, like a guard getting to the rim, that's a problem. I thought Auburn did a good job getting mismatches on the floor, and I thought they, um, I don't I don't know their plan of attack. It seemed like every button they were hitting was working, uh, especially in the second half. I don't know if it's a huge long term concern moving forward because I don't think they've been killed on that all season. It's not been a huge problem. Uh, over your, you know, your body of work for 31 games. Um, so I, I, I think it was just a uh, more so a specific to Auburn. They just had a good game plan. They got good mismatches, whatever, uh, and they were able to take advantage of it. Um, I, I think defense is, for me, the last thing you worry about with this Tennessee basketball team. Uh, of course, I would have said the same thing going to Auburn, and then we saw what happened. So I think you go body of work more so than anything. Uh, what, what we've seen from Tennessee for 31, 30 other games compared to maybe what we saw for one game. Well, we, what we have, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Jackie's got a question here. And we, we've seen it ask on the board in the Monday night chat. We've seen it ask numbers of times. But how, how do you answer this? Uh, do you think Bourne sacrifices offensive talent for guys who are great defenders? I mean, obviously, you got to play defense if you're going to play for Rick Barnes. I don't think that's necessarily true. But uh, given the way the team is kind of made up, I mean, it's worth an ask. I think I think there is offensive talent there. Um, I mean, Santi hasn't shot it well this season as a whole, but the dude made 100 threes last year. He can shoot it. Yeah. Only other guy that's ever done that's Chris Lofton. So I think first and foremost, their defensive, uh, the emphasis they put on the defensive end of the floor and the energy they put on in on that end of the floor, maybe that affects the offense. I don't know. I think there is some talent there. This isn't the most athletic team in the world. It's not the best uh, built roster uh to play offense at the highest level. And I don't think they build a roster looking to play offense at the highest level. I think they build a roster looking for athletes that defend uh, and are going to put in an effort on that end of the floor, and you hope you score enough points um, to outscore whatever your defense is given. I think that's just – I don't know. I think there is talent there, but I think that's just not where the overall focus of the program is. It's always going to be a defensive first program um, that's going to try to limit you on the defensive end and, and see what you can get on the offensive end. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's, that's where my mind goes first. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody sitting on the bench who could give them 15 points a right. night. It's not I getting agree. to play because, because they're not a defensive guy. Now, you want to talk about are you recruiting the right guys? You know, that that's a, a, you know, a bigger philosophical question. I don't think that, you know, it, it, his best defenders are his best offensive players, and I think that's kind of been – some of the case through the years uh, under Rick Barnes, but, you know, I don't know. I, I think, you know, you were talking earlier, Grant, about body of work, kind of what they are to me, what they are uh, in the post in particular is just so wildly inconsistent. It's hard for you to sit here and say, this team can put anything together. And I'm not trying to pick on those guys. I mean, they got 35 points, um, you know, I think against South Carolina and then they, almost no-showed offensively um, on, on Saturday at, at Auburn. I mean, that, that's 
I don't know what the answer to that is from a, if you're the coach, I don't know what the answer is. And as a fan I, for the fans, I don't have an answer for you. How a guy can show up one game, look like he's got an offensive pulse to go score. And then the other game doesn't even look to try to score at times. I, I don't get that. And if Rick were sitting here having the same conversation, he'd probably have his hand up telling you to preach, like go on, <laughs> testify. Because I mean, that's if I've heard him say it once, I've heard him say it a million times. Like you want to know what you're going to get from player X night in and night out. And with, with these guys in the post, you just don't know what it is. I mean, how many did Olivier have against Texas? 27, 28. 27. Like one of the best, one of the best big men in the country. Uh, Tennessee is the number two team in the country after that win. Um, and what did he do, you know, in the games that followed that Tyreek key? I mean, it, it's not even just the forwards. It's, it's a little bit of everybody. He had 21 in that second half against uh, Missouri. And then I think he went two for 21 over his, his next three games, but it is, there is, it is a focus in the post, especially there. You don't know what you're going to get night in and night out. Is it going to be an Uros who scores 19 against Kentucky? Is it going to be a Tobe Awaka who, you know, has 10 rebounds, but you can't really keep him on the floor against Auburn because, you know, he, he scores one point in that game in the minutes he does get. I mean, you need rebounding from Olivier. That's why he didn't play much in the second half at Auburn because he wasn't rebounding. And if, and if you're not going to rebound down there, you're not going to play. Uh, but you just, you know, you need that overall consistency and they don't have it. Those guys have shown individually they can be productive but right now they're just not consistently put it together and until they do you just really don't know what you're going to get out of this team night in and night out i, I want to move on to the sec tournament real quick but, but I, I do want to ask one more here on olivier and rebounding and again i'm not trying to pick on anybody because uh, it just that's not my style but i mean grant you play 22 minutes you get one rebound the question has to be asking like what the hell are you doing like how right. do you only get one rebound I, I, i'm being serious i mean i How's right. that, Paul? I know he's not a big rebounder, but you get one in 22 minutes. I just that seems impossible. I mean, and it feels like you should run into more than one, uh, yeah. even if you're not trying to get rebounds. I mean, Santi had five. How does Santi have five rebounds at his size, doing what he's doing on the offensive end, and, and how he's having to carry this team? And and how does he have five rebounds? Or how does Julian Phillips? He has six. I mean, he's obviously a big kid, and, and he can go get the ball. But your big men should not be getting out rebounded by your guards and your wings. I mean. And, and that's that's been a consistent message from Rick dating back to, you know, when conference play started. Uh, Olivier didn't miss a shot from the floor. It felt like for the first two games SEC play, and he had one rebound over those two games, and, and that was what was the feedback was, you know, the scoring is great, but if you're not going to rebound, it's hard to keep you on the floor because if you don't rebound, if you do miss shots and you don't rebound, you miss shots, uh, you're playing losing basketball. So, yeah, at his size, at his talent level, uh, it's just really inexcusable to only have one rebound. So Tennessee will be the fifth seed in the SEC tournament. Of course, it misses the double bye. It's going to have to play on Thursday. It'll be it'll wait the winner of South Carolina and Ole Miss. But uh, something I was reading that you wrote earlier today: Tennessee is six and two in games on their side of the bracket, which is kind of a best case scenario, I guess is is what you mean by that. It is, and, and it's weird. It's a different feeling going into this SEC tournament compared to the past because in the past they're trying to get that 1979 thing out of the way. They they wanted to be that team that that cut down the nets in the SEC tournament for the first time since uh, the 70s, and and, for, and to do that last year it felt like that got that out of the way, and now it feels like there's a different feeling going into it. And obviously Tennessee did not want to miss out on those top four seeds, and they, you you want that double buy into Friday just to limit the number of games you play. Now that changes a little bit when you lose Zakai because maybe you could use that extra game, um, depending on how long they stay in Nashville this coming week, to try to figure out what life is like without Zakai's ego. We saw that in the second half against Auburn, a little bit of struggle there in the final six minutes. It looked like they got a little 
discombobulated, disorganized, looks like it, in that moment is when you really need somebody like Sakai Ziegler to run the offense to keep everybody together. So the draw is not terrible. Uh, I think you, you beat uh, South Carolina about 40 twice this season. Uh, they didn't beat Ole Miss by much, but that was, you know, December 20-something. So it, it's been a while since they've played Ole Miss. So if you get past Thursday night or Thursday afternoon, uh, I'm sure they're, they're licking their chops trying to get another shot at Missouri after the way that game ended, uh, the emotion in that game and how it went back and forth. Um, and then if, if you, you move on from there Saturday, you're probably looking at Alabama and Alabama is a team that's uber talented and, you know, they got the record and they got everything they've done all season. It's, it's been a little bit of a struggle the last couple of weeks with everything going on around that program. It seems like, um, so it's, it's a different feel and it feels like for this team more so than you're trying to advance in the SEC tournament and, and cut down the nets. It's more so you're trying to get your stuff together. Uh, before the real tournament starts in March Madness. And, and Grant, but take, look, taking the championship out of the equation, because I agree with you 100%, there, there was a monkey to get off the back. But given the fact that they took that they, they did that a year ago, but they really wasn't, they weren't rewarded from a seeding standpoint in the NCAA tournament. Um, it was nice to get the monkey off the back, but at the end of the day, they didn't, they, they didn't greatly benefit from it. How do you approach – and I'm not just talking about Tennessee. I'm talking about everybody in the SEC. How do you approach the tournament? I mean, do you think Tennessee's playing for to, to, to hold on to a third seed? Is that legitimate? Or do you think they're pretty locked in at a four or a three? I mean, well, where do you think they are and how much could they move either direction depending on how the SEC tournament goes based on what we've seen the last few years? I think they're still solid on that three line. Uh, I think it would have to take a, you know, uh, maybe a face plant Thursday afternoon for them to not end up on that three line, more so because of the other teams around them as much as anything Tennessee's done the last, I think they're four and six over their last 10 games. So obviously you're not, you know, hitting your stride right now if you're Tennessee, obviously. But um, I think you better get your business done by Saturday night in this tournament, you, whatever statement you're trying to make, you better make it by Saturday night because it feels like that bracket is always put to rest to put to bed Saturday night. And there's not a ton of change come Sunday. And I think that's why Rick Barnes, I think that's why a lot of SEC coaches would probably prefer this thing to crown a champion on Saturday night, like the ACC does. And like some other tournaments do, because if you're trying to get the the selection committee's attention, you got to be doing it by Saturday because Sunday, there's not that much um, that you're going to do. That's going to change anything there. I mean, Texas A&M went to the SEC tournament title game, uh, didn't play all that well, but gave Tennessee a, a pretty tough game uh, down the stretch, and, and they still get left out as, you know, the, the last team that did not make the field. So they got to figure out a way, I think, to end this thing on Saturday, either that or you better take care of business and, and make whatever statement you're going to make by Saturday night because I don't know how much Sunday makes a difference besides the opportunity to cut down a net and, and take home a trophy. So, so Grant, I know we're, we're getting up against it here, but I do want to have big picture SEC can Vanderbilt get in? How far do they have to go in the tournament, you think, to get in? Where do you think Mississippi State is right now? I assume the top four seeds in Tennessee are in. Those five are in. Where do you see it going after those five right now? Who, who's got who's to make noise? Who do you think maybe is a little more comfortable than, than some other people think? I think there's eight generally projected. Uh, that does not include Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is one of the maybe the next four out category. I think Vanderbilt's going to have to win a couple games and, and continue to look impressive. Obviously, that's not going to be easy without Liam Robbins and, and losing him to injury. So I think Mississippi State is one of those teams that they just have to kind of avoid a face plan here. They got to, you know, go around, not get demolished in, in the first SEC tournament game they play. Uh, I think they're one of those last four teams in categories. So I think Mississippi State's okay if they can just kind of keep making steps forward. I think Vanderbilt, 
if they continue making noise, they're going to give a lot of people something to think about. But I think right now, entering uh, the conference tournament, I think there's generally a consensus is eight teams uh, going in. Grant out the door. Anything change for Tennessee this week? Of course, you don't have that that, that Tuesday-Wednesday midweek matchup to get ready for, but you do play on Thursday. But from a practice rehab standpoint, anything kind of change for Tennessee? I would take it easy for a couple of days because you kind of get that break and your the, the schedule's been pretty much set two games a week for how many weeks now? And so for to go from a Saturday game to Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, go to Nashville, practice in somewhere in Nashville Wednesday, uh, and then get ready to go Thursday. I would uh, I would try to as as much as this team has struggled with injuries and as much as guys have been in and out of the lineups, I would try to uh, get my feet under me a little bit, catch my breath, uh, figure out what you're doing without Sakai, and, and try to continue moving on without him and, and focus on how you're going to win tournament games because uh, it's that time of the year. Is BJ, is BJ Edwards just not an option? I mean, what do they do if, if Santi gets in foul trouble? I mean, is that, is that Meshack running the point? Is that key trying to run the point? You're running it. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, what, what are they, what are they doing at the point guard spot for depth purposes? I don't know. We, we asked, you know, we didn't even really ask about BJ Edwards on Thursday before practice, and Rick just kind of brought him up on his own and said he trusts in BJ and he thinks BJ's a guy that can help him. But obviously, that's really not the case because we don't see him get on the floor. I mean, he didn't play against Arkansas after the guy got hurt. He didn't play at Auburn. Never got off the bench there. I think it's just a, I guess, a trust issue there. If he, he doesn't think he can get it done defensively, or he hasn't seen enough from him on the practice floor to think he can do enough to help this team on both ends of the floor if he does get minutes. Uh, if Santi does get foul trouble, then you know maybe that's a different situation. You have to figure it out there, and maybe we see him uh, see BJ like we've seen BJ randomly uh, over the last few weeks. But uh, you know what he says and what he does are two different things at this point because he's saying he trusts in BJ, but then he's not putting him out there. So if foul trouble does happen, maybe it is Jemai, maybe it is Josiah on a more concentrated ball handling role, uh, or maybe we'll see BJ uh, get a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. We're not going to go back to the Raiders hat, though, because I just put this on to throw you all off. Well, I mean, I thought you were a Bears guy. I, I'm a, a I'm a diehard Bears fan, but they're so terrible that uh, I collect hats. <laughs> and the Raiders are better, wait, wait, right? Wait, the black wait, hole wait, is wait, good. <laughs> wait, I, I collect hats. Listen, I used to come home from school, 3 o'clock, there would be NFL films on ESPN2, John Facenda's uh, the, the Autumn Wind is a Pirate and all this stuff, and I'm watching John Madden get carried off after winning a Super Bowl. and uh, I've just studied up on those teams, and who's cooler than the Silver and Black and the Raiders? So I got a Raiders hat, okay? It's just a hat. So so on the AFC side, you're a Raiders guy, and on the no, NFC side, no, you're a Bears no, guy. Listen, even, you're wearing that. That's I'm an not, endorsement. That's an right? endorsement. I'm not a – I'm not a – I got a Twins hat. I'm not a Twins fan. It's just a cool hat. I just buy cool hats. Or, or, I would say you're by – you you can't call yourself a front runner because you bought a Raiders hat, which is – Right, right. They're, they're, they're not there, so – I mean, you're not out wearing the homes gear these days, right? You're, no, you're, no. You're not buying the, the you're not buying the, the championship t shirt to act like if any, if anything, I went the polar opposite direction of my homes. I went straight to the <laughs> the rival Raiders. So it's just it's just a hat. It's the silver and black. What's cooler than that? Uh, okay. I'm just curious. Hat. I was I, I was stunned to see it. That was not the hat I anticipated you wearing. You have a great hat collection, but I did not see a Raiders hat coming tonight from you. I walk into my closet, I throw one on, I think I'm going to throw them off with this one. This was the pick tonight. Well, you won. Congratulations. <laughs> it's almost baseball yeah, season. He'll be wearing a Braves hat here before you know it. Grant, he had a, he had a Twins hat on earlier, so, I mean, he's, he's got all he got all kinds of collections. I'll give him credit. The man's got his hats. Add Grant Ramey on um, Twitter. Grant, appreciate it, buddy. See you, boys. Thanks, man.
All right, we're gonna we're gonna come back here. We'll take a quick sixty. We'll uh, we'll talk awesome prize junior day recruiting. That's coming up in about ten minutes. But we want to take some of your football questions or any questions you may have. Get them in right now. We'll answer some of your questions. We'll talk a little spring football leading up to spring football. Now that's coming up next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Got about 23 minutes left here of the Iraqis I Rewind, VolQuest.com, and VolQuest on the YouTube channel. I'm Eric Kane uh, with Brent Hudson. Please like this video. The goal is always to get 500 likes. Share it. Let's get it out in front of more Tennessee fans. Awesome prize coming up in about 10 minutes, uh, about eight minutes. Uh, but we want to answer some of your questions. Super Chats get moved to the front of the line. And as always, we appreciate that. Thomas wants to know, can Tennessee's defense be improved in football next season? It's a great question. It's something you wrote about earlier this week, Brent. Um, the, the, the depth is much better than where it was you know, this time two years ago for sure. But you got to have some guys solidify and got to have some guys enhance their play, especially in the secondary. Yep, you got to be better and play with more confidence in the back end, and you've got to rush the quarterback off the edge without having to bring everybody. Uh, I think those are the two things that you look at. Become more athletic in the back end, first and foremost, with your safety play. Play with some confidence um, along the uh, along the outside, you know, at the corner position, and then, and then get home. I mean, find find some way to to get home off the edge where you don't have to bring the house. To to me, that's a a big part about where this team is and, and what they're about. I think they got more depth at linebacker. I think they're going to be better at linebacker. I know Jeremy Banks was a productive player, and I'm not knocking on Jeremy because he was a good player for Tennessee. I love where Beasley's at. I think Herring's going to take a step. Uh, I, I think Caleb Perry's the guy nobody's talking about, Eric, that I think's got a chance to make some noise at, at linebacker uh, this spring and then those young guys. So I, I do think they can be better. Um but it starts with playing with confidence on the corner. I don't think you play with confidence on the corner if you don't feel like those guys can get there up front. So you got to show those two things that work those hand in hand. Again, it, it is all tied. It's all tied. One affects the other. Uh, that's why I love defense so much. Zachary Whitfield wants to know, he's got uh, two questions. Where do you see Hooker going in the NFL draft and who might get him? I don't know. I've heard Seattle likes him. I've heard New Orleans likes him. You know, that just will depend on – the need whenever he comes up in the draft, I feel like. And then two, what will running back look like for Tennessee this year? Brent, I think it'll look a lot of the same this past year, but I do think the the split carries might be a little bit more evenly distributed between Wrights and Jabari Small. Well I think I think Wright's gonna emerge as, as your leading as your leading guy. Um I, I think he's had another good offseason. I thought he had a good I thought he had a really good offseason last year. I think he's followed that up this year. I think he's got a hunger about him. Jabari's got to obviously show he can be healthy. The X factor to me is where is Dylan Sampson? And where is he physically and how much does he grow? Because he's the home run threat. I mean, he, he's your home run hitter. Can he be physical enough to be a guy that you count on, you know, down in and down out? Um, you know, we, we'll see. But uh, I, I think right now, you know, to me, Jabari Wright or Jabari Wright, Jalen Wright was their best running back a year ago. Yeah. I don't think he's going to do anything to not be their best running back this year um and, and then we'll see where dylan sampson is how he grows and 
kind of what it looks like after that. Hopefully Tennessee doesn't have to go very deep, you know, in terms of uh, of bodies because they're they're not injured. I, I, I want to see Samson with 10 more pounds, what he looks like here. I, I, think, I think that ch- changes the dynamic if he can keep his speed and be the home run threat. Yeah, the goal is to add 10 pounds, but do not shave anything off that 40-yard dash dot that we've been talking about so much. You want to keep that speed. Uh, somebody asked about Addison Nichols. I'm sorry, I lost Tony. Tony's asking about Addison Nichols. Big spring for Addison Nichols, right, Brent? Kind of first of all, what position does Tennessee like him at the most? And number two, and maybe this kind of intertwines, who's your backup center long term? You know, I mean, you've got safety nets in an Ollie Lane or maybe a Javante Spragans or maybe a Vison Lang or whatever, but who's that center long term whenever? You don't have Cooper Mays anymore. I, maybe Addison Nichols fits into that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's what this spring is about. Uh, when you look at the offensive line, um, you've got – you're pretty locked in, you think. I mean, you feel like you're going to be able to put somebody out there at left tackle that's going to be all right because you were all right out there last year. You've got a, a center in Cooper Mays that makes things go for you. Um, you've got Javante Spragans, who I think has got to be better in pass pro and, and – and, eliminate some of the penalty stuff he had the back half of the year, several holding calls there. But he's obviously played a ton of football, and he's one of your five best. Then it gets really interesting because you're looking for that right tackle. We've talked about that position uh, a great deal, so we sort of know who those guys are. Who's your other guard? Is Ollie Lane back to be just your safety backup guy? You know, he's he's he's, he's your third guard, if you will. Could he win the guard spot? Is 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 Carrick the the transfer from Texas? Is he is he a guard for you? Does he win the guard spot? Does Addison Nichols have a shot to win the guard spot? You know, that, that, those are the questions that you want. Where's a guy like Mo Clipper? These guys that that redshirted a year ago. There, there's some interesting things there with some of those guys to see where they are. I think for Addison Nichols, it's about physicality. How physical does he play uh, this spring? I think that's first and foremost where it starts with Addison Nichols. When you when he, when he shows the physicality that you need, then you can start finding him a position. I think first and foremost, he's got to play more physical. And guys like Javonta Spragans needs to up their game a little bit more. Mm-hmm. He's started each of the past two seasons. That does not mean he's arrived, right? You want to keep developing and progressing, especially in this offense. We'll get one more, then we'll get Austin Price on here to talk about Junior Day. Uh, ben wants to know. He said, "Hey, I did you know watching the combine? Didn't realize how athletic Jeremy Banks was." Does Aaron Beasley have a shot at being that, and maybe we just don't see it because we're so close to covering him? I'm glad he added that caveat in there because initially I'm like, no, n- not at all. But I never thought Aaron Beasley would do what he did at points in times this year, and especially in the Orange Bowl. He's he's playing good football right now. Yeah, and I think I think when you look at Aaron Beasley, there's two things that have happened for him. One, he finally found a position, right? I mean, he yep. was a running back. He was a safety. He was a linebacker. He was, you know, whatever, yo-yoed here. He's found a home, and I think Ryan Jean-Marie is a good linebackers coach. I think yep. you look at development, and I think you're seeing an Aaron Beasley develop into that position, understanding the game, using his speed as a strength, not as a hindrance. He's not overrunning plays. His timing of things has gotten better. He's played more physical. Um, if he can stay healthy, I think Aaron Beasley is going to have a, a, a good year, and I think Aaron Beasley is a guy who's going to have a chance to play at the next level, which I, I I don't know that I would have said that a year ago. I mean, certainly not two years ago, but a year ago I wasn't sure I'd say that. He was a really good football player this past season for Tennessee. Uh, it was kind of crazy and a bit of head-scratcher to me that, that 
you know, he went to the bench at one point. Now I know they rotated guys, but you look at the start that he had to the year, and then all of a sudden he's kind of the third linebacker. They're they're playing they're playing you know Juju Mitchell, uh, you know Jawan Mitchell, and and they're playing Jeremy Banks. Beasley's the most productive of the three that they played no. a year ago, and it's really not that close uh, in terms of all the things that he did for Tennessee. I, I like where he's at right now. I expect him to take another step this this offseason and, and be a nice anchor for them at linebacker. That, that That's a unique group of linebackers. So I mentioned two guys earlier in, in Herring and Perry, throw Beasley in there, and then you got the transfer from BYU in there who's a savvy veteran. I think they've got a chance to be a really nice linebacking core next year. Uh, and I thought they were good, much better this year than they were in year one. I think they got a chance to take another pretty sizable step this year, Eric. Yeah, I mean, they, they were well-balanced, right? Or, or they're going to be well-balanced this year. You've got a great influx of veterans, guys who've been there, done that, seen it, done that, and then young guys who are getting better. And then this new talent brought in there as well, just kind of learn and soak it all, all up like a sponge. So it, and hopefully – you know, contend for some snaps as well. So I'm excited to see that group uh, this spring and next fall. Uh, junior day on campus just uh, over the weekend, and Austin Price and Matt Ray, they were on campus covering it all, and so we bring in Austin Price right now. Austin, what was uh, what was the mood kind of Saturday evening and uh, into the night after the third junior day of the semester? Well, I think Tennessee did a, a nice job. It wasn't a star-studded event, right? I mean, it, this wasn't one where you had, you know, like – seven or eight of your top guys, but there was a couple of nice pieces. And I think Tennessee, you know, again, has started to make North Carolina more of a priority, has started to make Virginia more of a priority. And, um, you know, and traditionally that's always been good to Tennessee. And, you know, you look at the state of Virginia, the top two that I want to talk about that visited uh, yesterday for junior day are linebacker Bodie Cahoon and, uh, and then, you know, Peyton Lewis, the running back from the state of Virginia as well. And, you know, both guys walked away very, very impressed by Tennessee. Both said they will be back. Cahoon will be back on April 11th. Lewis isn't going to rule out visiting during spring practice, but it sure sounds like Tennessee is in line to get one of his officials uh, come, you know, late May, early June. So, you know, you look at Peyton Lewis, he's a bigger back and, I would say he's probably 195 right now. I know it says 185, but he's he's taller. Um, you know, a, a really impressive kid, and has great speed. And uh, Virginia Tech's high on him. Penn State as well. Uh, but Tennessee has made a huge move. He just got an offer from Alabama. Um, you know, you continue to see his name kind of rocket up. And then Cahoon is a kid who's committed for lacrosse. And has only got five games at linebacker. This is a big kid. If you see the picture on social media <clears throat> of him beside Josh Heupel, you know, he's as big as Coach Heupel is. And, you know, Coach Heupel's a big guy. And so he's someone who, again, very instinctive, smart player, and someone, uh, you know, who can, I think, really help a, a, a football program out. Brian Jean-Marie's done a nice job there. Um, as as well as Coach Heupel. And, again, I think both those guys kind of leave the weekend, you know, feeling Tennessee a good amount. Again, visit highs wear off, but uh, I think Tennessee did a nice job there this weekend with those two Virginia kids. And I think it's smart to get into Virginia more and more. I mean, obviously they got Cam Seldon, you know, AP, and, yep. uh, you know, they, they had some other Virginia kids who have visited the last couple of years. But I, I think it's important – and I don't think you abandon Alabama. I don't think you abandon Florida completely. 
but but I think there I, I think you can swing north and and, and make some hay. Um, and, and you know I, I think I think you got a better chance of pulling some good players out of Virginia than you do some guys out of the state of Alabama with Auburn where they are and, and coming you know, from a recruiting standpoint and Alabama being Alabama. So I think it's smart for them to dive much more into Virginia here as we've tried to see them do the last couple of years or the last yeah. year. Or so. Yeah, Virginia and then Mississippi. I mean, you look at what Tennessee is doing in the state of Mississippi. Obviously, they got the one commit, but J.J. Harrell, but Camarion Franklin, Daniel Hill. I mean, there are other players in the state of Mississippi. And again, you're not going to land every one of those kids. But if you can be a factor for them, you might land one or two. And then all of a sudden – it helps you with the future class and the future class. I mean, look at the state of North Carolina. You know, Tennessee, you know, has kind of dabbled there, even dating back to the previous staff. Before that, it had gotten away from North Carolina, which to me has always been a mistake. The previous staff started to recruit North Carolina. This staff is recruiting North Carolina. And, and, and you see it pay dividends with David Hobbs and James Pierce. And then, I mean, even go back to the previous staffs last year with Jalen Wright, who is arguably Tennessee's best tailback. So, you know, North Carolina, Virginia, Mississippi, all have to be bigger factors for Tennessee, in my opinion. You're always going to recruit the state of Georgia. You're always going to recruit Tennessee. You cherry pick maybe going out west a little bit into California some. Florida, Texas, Alabama, you can recruit those areas, and you might land a kid or two, but it's just tougher. And the best kids are going to end up inevitably going to Alabama, Auburn, the three Florida schools, and the Texas schools out of those states. So, again, it's not to say you can't land a, a player or two from those states because you can, but I think Tennessee's got a easier path to pulling a kid from Virginia, North Carolina, and Mississippi than they do either one of those other three. A couple of others specifically I want to ask you about that I saw you guys make notes of uh, on the board. Uh, running back from IMG Academy, Donovan Johnson, and then the quarterbacks that were in. Uh, I know there weren't many, but one that comes to mind would be Judd Anderson, who stopped by Knoxville. Yeah, Donovan's a 25, a good-looking kid. Came through with his dad. Tennessee, uh, you know, did a nice job there. I think they'll get him back on campus. He's nowhere close to doing anything. Again, with any kind of 25, you just want to start to establish yourself as a factor for um, a player. I mean, you look at, you know, look at who's recruiting him right there. I mean, it's pretty, you know, it's a who's who. And, I mean, he's, he's that kind of guy. He's a big physical guy, can run, likes to catch the ball in the backfield. Really good-looking kid. Now, you flip it to Judd Anderson – He's someone that Tennessee has not offered yet, but I could see them offering. And, and, you know, if they ended up not getting Jake Merklinger, the kid from Savannah, maybe they go that route, that quarterback in in 24. The the likelihood is you're not going to land a a top-end guy in 24. Your next class you're going to potentially land a top-end quarterback in would be 2025, and that's where you bring in that crop of quarterbacks. But for Judd Anderson, you know, good-looking kid, tall kid, Makes some sense, you know, has some ties to the state of Tennessee, and, uh, you know, again, nice arm. You know, Austin, you mentioned this was not maybe the star-studded deal, but I thought Tennessee did a nice job getting some in-state kids in who aren't the the, the high-profile names that already have the offers. So some guys in in, in 24s, 25s that, that, that they're looking – you know, you take a look at to kind of see – what does this guy really measure in at? Just just as as, as an evaluation piece uh, for Tennessee. Not sure they're going to go, how hard they'll go in any of those directions, but a couple of big-body kids that Tennessee I thought was was smart on their part to get them in, in town and, and start to, you know, kind of evaluate and look at them, and they'll continue to evaluate them throughout 
spring practice for the high school ranks as well. Yeah, big kid from Dyersburg, defensive lineman. And then, and then on the offensive line, Oakland's Caden Mal, who's a 2025 uh, – actually, might even be a 26. I, I can't remember. It, it, man, I think he's 25. He, he's a good-looking kid, big kid, uh, you know, physical, and kind of just kind of feeling out the process. But uh, he's one that I think you definitely keep an eye on. I think Tennessee could offer Mal sometime this week. And, uh, you know, we'll see if that happens. But, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest one you get to campus hubs is not even a big guy. And you got to get him here as much as you can. And that's Shavar Young from Webb because I think Shavar Young is the next Amari Rogers, T. Higgins type player from this area. I mean, I think he's that good. He just completed his freshman year. He played varsity as an eighth grader. Kid's a freak, man. He just is. I love the kid's makeup. He's a smart kid. Um, you know, big, big fan of Shavar Young and a kid who honestly uh, handles himself like an older player, even though he is a 2026. So, um, you know, th this is the one that you want to stay on top of if you're Tennessee. You want to get him to, as, to Tennessee's campus as much as humanly possible. Yeah, I've seen him up close twice. He's really good. <laughs> really good. You <laughs> saw him as eighth grader and as a freshman. Huh? He Don't runs you. by people. <laughs> I mean, he is, he, he's actually for for a guy his age, he is pretty polished. I mean, he is. I mean, he's got some polish as a route runner. A good, good football player who everybody yeah. in the country, I think, is certainly everybody in the South is going to be all over, and, and will continue to be all over him. Hundred percent. I mean, it'll be a who's who recruiting Shavar Young. Kid's going to be special. I'm interested to see how much he grows. How big does he get? You know, I mean, he, he height-wise, he's big enough to play right now. I mean, I'm not – but, I mean, like, does he get 6'1"? Does he get 6'2"? If that happens, then, you know, with his speed, watch out. But, I mean, the kid's got some special to him. I see you, Dustin. Uh, I want to ask one more recruiting question here, then we'll then we'll hit we'll hit what you got here, Dustin. I appreciate you. But, Austin, what, what, what's next? You know, spring practice in a couple of weeks – who were some of those guys that maybe didn't make it down in January or maybe this past weekend that say that they have plans to come and see a practice? Anytime you have practice, a chance to bring some guys on campus and, and so they can sit in meeting rooms and watch, feels like it's a really good opportunity for Tennessee. Well, Eric, when you when you look at you know what Tennessee would like to get done the rest of the month, it's just about getting players here for spring practice, letting them kind of kind of get a feel for how a coach coaches, how the players react, you know, all that. Um, Amari Jefferson is one that I think Tennessee really needs to get here early in spring practice. He's supposed to come in one of those first couple of days. And I think that's big because he picked up Georgia or sorry, he picked up Auburn today. He got Alabama yesterday. And we're talking about the wide receiver from Baylor. Um, Tennessee's obviously already got JJ Harrell. They're in a good spot with, you know, Ryan Wingo and Mike Matthews. And here's the deal with those two. Those are going to be dog fights against Georgia and Alabama and the best of the best in college football. Amari Jefferson's going to turn into that as well, but Amari Jefferson's committed to Tennessee for baseball. Amari Jefferson is from down the road in Chattanooga. I know he said he grew up an LSU fan. All these kids grew up a fan of somebody other than Tennessee because guess what? Tennessee has not been very good for the last 15 years. They've never seen Tennessee be good. But the reason Tennessee's in play for these kids in state is because Tennessee's become the cool school because they win football games all of a sudden and they're exciting to watch and they score points and the crowd and the fans and everything. Tennessee's fans have kept them relevant for 15 years when they didn't have a lot to be relevant about. Now the on the field product is matching up. So again, I don't care what he said about who he, who he cheered for in seven. That doesn't matter. It's what does he look like now? What is most relevant for, for him now? 
And, you know, again, I think Amari Jefferson is one that I'm really interested to see when he gets to campus. What's he talking about leaving Tennessee later in the month? Let's get to Dustin here. Dustin said, hey, is battered vol syndrome more uh, prevalent now than it was in the 80s or 90s? It seems like it's occurring more than often since Internet and social media. It seems like it's never enough, even though uh, we, Tennessee, has been solid across the board lately. Guys, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Dustin, thanks so much for the super chat, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, it, it the feeling of it never is enough. I mean, that, that's 100% true, and I think it's enhanced. It's a small minority, but it's enhanced because of social media, Brent. Well, I don't think there's any doubt, but, I mean, I go back. I was I was in talk radio in the 90s, and Tennessee went 45-5, and five and it wasn't enough. Beating Alabama wasn't good enough because they weren't beating Steve Spurrier. No. You know, um, there are people unhappy at Alabama right now. I mean, that's uh, right or wrong. That's the world we live in. It, does does the internet, um, that does social media, message boards, all those things enhance that? Sure. I mean, it gives them, it gives guys outlets. You have different outlets you didn't have in the '80s and '90s to talk about things. The other thing too that you had in the, I mean, in the '80s they were making hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to coach. Now you're making nine million. Changes, you know. I mean, there's a lot more pressure. There's a lot more. Uh, you know, it, the intensity of it's just a lot different now. It's not just social media related, Austin. I, I think there's a lot of things that go into that. But, I, I mean, you know, I, I think there's always that pressure there. Now, batted vol syndrome is a little different. Batted vol syndrome means you always think something bad's going to happen because you haven't won in a long enough time. I don't think he – I don't think he really – the second part of that question wasn't really battered vol syndrome. It was more people just not very happy. Battered vol syndrome is – we're never going to be any good and you don't appreciate when you're as good as you need to be or as you should. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on all of us. I mean, you know, I, I don't perform up to hub the standards. He didn't let me come on the show last week. I mean, it, 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 it happens. I mean, it just it, it is what it is, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I think ultimately you just got to kind of enjoy it week to week. If you're a fan and I know that's hard, I get it. I mean, everybody invests their money, their time, they pour themselves into the football program, the baseball program, the basketball program, but you just have to enjoy it week to week. Cause I mean, what happens one week could change the next, but you just got to enjoy when you have those cool moments, you got to enjoy the orange bowl. You got to enjoy the Alabama game. You know, I mean, I get the South Carolina game happened, but if you look at the totality of the season, if you had told everybody beforehand, before that, that was what was going to happen, everybody would have signed up. If you just didn't tell them who they were going to lose to, Tennessee's going to go 11 to two, win the orange bowl but you don't know how the games play out, who you beat. Every Vol fan is taking that and running. And I mean, I think 100% would have taken that before the season started. Oh, yeah. But, Easily. But, 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 but again, people, people ride the wave. And, you know, again, it's easy to sit here and say you, you can't you just ignore the South Carolina game. You can't ignore it. But at the same time, enjoy the, enjoy the cool moments. Enjoy the wins. You know, I mean, look at Tennessee's baseball team. If they go to Omaha – That'll be farther than last year's team went. And I would argue that no matter what Tennessee does the rest of the way, they'll have a tough time being nearly uh, being dominant enough to equal last year's team, even if they go win the national title. So, I mean, like, just enjoy it. Well, and enjoy the journey. And then the journey was enjoyable this year because you didn't have the expectations, right? It all changes too when you have expectations. When when there's a creation of, of, of expectation, then. All of a sudden, you didn't win pretty enough. You didn't do this enough. When you don't expect it and it pops up, those are your favorite teams, right? 
How many yeah. older Vol fans talk about the Sugar Vols in 85? It's because nobody saw it coming. They didn't anticipate that. 98, you win a national championship. They weren't supposed to do that. 96, everybody was miserable, you know, because they didn't beat Florida. That may be the best team Philip Fulmer ever put on the field in 96, you know. So it, it's hard to do, but you try to enjoy the journey. But I, I think it's harder and harder to do now than it's ever been, Eric. And again, five games in or four games in and 16 at bats is no reason to write off a guy that's going to be playing in Major League Baseball one day. That is Maui Ahuna. So I, just I, did, I do want to get in Wayne because Wayne super chatted. Um, uh, the elite offensive lineman, uh, Tennessee's in on several, Wayne. The biggest guy that Tennessee would love to be in play for is Daniel Calhoun. They're going to continue to swing at uh, the big Camp Ringle kid from South Carolina. And who knows what happens. He's a South Carolina kid. He's committed to South Carolina. South Carolina were to have a tough start to next year, have some bad mojo going. You never know what happens. But Daniel Calhoun's the big, the biggest of the big right now as far as offensive linemen. But again, you got to beat out Georgia. You got to beat Alabama. Those type of players, in state wise, Tennessee wants Ronan O'Connell. They love Jesse Perry, um, and of course, there's some other tackles um, from the state of Georgia. Tennessee likes as well. Yeah, and I saw O'Connell the last couple of weeks. He's a guy who physically looks a lot different than he did last summer. Um, in terms of kind of where he's at, leanness, size, added strength. Uh, he he looks he looks he didn't look bad last summer, but he looks a lot better right now than he did at any point last summer. I really, I mean, he is he's turned into a man. He doesn't have that baby face that you see in that profile. If he he sees this, he'll be messaging me to change that, that profile <laughs> picture really quickly because that's not what he looks like these days at all. Um, but but he's changed his body a lot. Hey, Dustin Wayne, thank you so much for the super chats. Really, really do appreciate it. Thank you all for tuning in and asking questions to us here on the uh, Rocky Top Rewind. We do it every single Sunday night, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern time on the VolQuest YouTube channel and, of course, at VolQuest.com. Like this uh, this subscription or subscribe to the channel if you would. Please like this video. Let's get it up to 500 likes. Always appreciate that. For Brent Hubs, Austin Price, Grant Ramey, I am Eric Kane. Thank you, as always. Tune in for the uh, VolQuest podcast and the Mailbag podcast. That'll be on Tuesday and Thursday. But until then, enjoy the rest of your Sunday night, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Rocky Top Rewind. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.